Good morning, everyone. So good to see you today. And a sunny day, right? In our hearts. Yeah. Folks, I want to share with you um, an amazing painting by Caravaggio. It's called The Conversion of Paul, Saul on the Way to Damascus. This was painted in the, uh, about 1600 A.D. Now, this is the Saul who would become the Apostle Paul. And um, I want you to, to see something here. I want you to see how the man who is going around threatening the church, the, the murderous Pharisee Saul, is now on his back before God. Who's sovereign in this world? God is. And I want you to understand something before we go any further. You may be threatened. You may feel at times that life is out of control. You may feel that God is out of control. He can't control what's going on. But let this be a reminder to you that God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And even when it seems like evil is winning, ultimately, Paul tells us we are more than conquerors, more than victors through Jesus Christ. Someone say amen to that. Yeah. So if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Acts chapter 9. And uh, we're looking at the first few verses here, Acts chapter 9. And I hope that you can actually see your Bibles. That's, the lighting is kind of off here a little bit. And it begins like this. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, and the way, by the way, is what Christianity was once called. I don't know if you knew that. Before it was called Christianity, it was called the way. Why is that? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Christianity was called the way first. And so, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, before we uh, get into this, let me just say this about Saul, who becomes Paul. He's the, after Jesus Christ, he's the greatest influence in my life. Uh, he is an inspiration. He's an example to me. His willingness to suffer and do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom of God, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, is both a pattern and example for me, and I hope and pray that we could say that about all our pastors, that they're influenced and challenged by the Apostle Paul. Next to the Apostle Paul, I have to tell you that I feel like an ant observing a giant, an amazing man of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says to imitate me as I imitate Christ, and that's really what I have tried to do. But I have to tell you that I feel very inadequate when I compare my ministry to Paul. Before Paul, though, was the great apostle, he was Saul the Pharisee. 
And there is some debate as to whether or not hit, hit the name Saul or Paul is interchangeable, that it, it, it really is not an issue. But I would disagree with that. If you've read your Old Testament, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and know anything about the Word of God, you know that Abram became Abraham, Sarah became Sarah, Jacob became Israel, Simon became Peter, and Saul becomes Paul. What's going on here? Well, there's, there's a massive transformation that takes place in Saul's life. He's no longer the same man anymore as he's confronted by God. And in fact, Paul talks about this uh, later on in the book of Acts. You'll see that in Acts 20, uh, 22 and 26, Paul's telling his testimony of his transformation. Now, before going any further, just let me remind everybody today, the culture that we live in today is constantly challenging us and calling us to change, to be different people. And most of us recognize the need for it. That's why the self-help industry is such a massive industry. But the thing that we recognize, both through personal experience and through the Word of God, is that personal transformation is only possible through the power of Almighty God. Does this make sense to you today? You can't change yourself. But thanks be to God, we have a Savior who can change us. So Paul tells us a little bit about himself. There's a bit of an autobiography in Philippians 3, 4 to 6. And he says, though I myself have reason for such confidence, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He is of the people of Israel. Uh, he is one of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he's a Pharisee. That means he, he keeps it perfectly. There's, he doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't fall short in any way. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness, well, he says it's based on the law and therefore is faultless. So this man, this Saul, he's not just a, 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 a ruffian or a gangster. He is an extremely sophisticated, highly educated leader in Israel. He's murderous, yes. But you need to understand what kind of transformation has taken place in him. And he says, after all of this, after stating for you his credentials, he says this. He says, but whatever uh, were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. In other words, you could take all my credentials, his doctoral degree, his, all, all his training, his, his lineage, his heritage, uh, his breeding, he, he says it's all, it's all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. What is going on in this man? How does this man walk away from, from really stellar credentials? How does he do this? There's only one way. He is transformed. He is what we call converted. Some of you today... I think most of us today have been converted. We have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to talk to you today about the transformation, about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to say this to you today. When it comes to conversion, when, it, when before you were converted, you had a confrontation with Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? Conversion always begins with a confrontation 
with Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens here. And so let me just share that scripture for you. So Saul hears a word from Jesus Christ, and it says, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul is not, look at, I want you to see this. Saul's not looking for Jesus. He's got no interest in knowing the truth. He's got no interest in knowing God. He's got no interest because he thinks he's got it all already. And if you're here today and you're not converted, you may be just like Saul. You think, I don't need God. I got it all together. I don't need this Jesus. I don't need what Pastor Allen has got to say. I don't even know why I'm here. We know why you're here. God ordained it. God arranged all this. But here's Saul. He's not looking for Jesus at all. But Jesus comes and confronts him. That's what Jesus did to me. That's what Jesus did to you. He confronted you. And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He didn't, even know, he didn't even know who was talking to him. And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Let's stop right there. And uh, let's answer the question, what is Pastor Allen's job? What's, what is my job here today? My job is to proclaim Jesus Christ and to proclaim his gospel, his, his good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And what is the good news? Let me put it very, very simply so there's no confusion and no doubt. Good news is your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Did you get that? What's the gospel? What's the good news? Your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is the message of the whole gospel. All the gospels are proclaiming exactly the same thing. In fact, as we go through the book of Acts, that's the message over and over and over again. Your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And if you're with us today uh, through live stream, understand what the gospel is. Your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. So this is my job. My job is to stand before you every day, uh, every Sunday, and to confront you with this simple truth. Jesus Christ has sent me to proclaim this message that your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I, I was looking for my sins to be forgiven. I mean, Saul wasn't looking for his sins to be forgiven. But I can tell you this, and you'll see it in just a moment, that was his greatest need. My job then is to proclaim Christ. This is what makes Christian ministry and preaching unique among all religions in the world. There's no other religion in the world that offers forgiveness of sin and reconciliation and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's no religion in the world that teaches that. There's no religion that teaches that you can be reconciled to God. In fact, every religion in the world tries to make you a better you. They give you instructions and guidance and their so-called holy writings that will tell you how to, how to be better, how to improve you. And so when you come to our church, here's what you need to know. We're not giving you what you think you need. We're giving you what you really need. All in favor, say aye. I'm, I'm, I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> 
Because here's the thing. We, uh, we really think that we've, we, we know what's best for us. I know what's best for me. Saul certainly thought he was brilliant. He was going around. He thought he was acting in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. He, obviously not in the name of Jesus. He thought he was acting in the name of God. He was doing God's will. He was destroying the church. He had no idea what his problem was. He had no idea what he really needed. So, I want you to understand something today. My first priority every Sunday is to preach the gospel. Now, for some of you who grew up uh, as a Christian your whole life, you thought, well, the gospel, the good news, is only for people who are not Christians. But here's what you need to know. The gospel is for people who are not Christians, but it's also for people who are Christian. Why? Because you need to be reminded every Sunday that Jesus Christ, is still your only hope. Jesus Christ is still all that you need. Now, you're going to get all kinds of messages from the culture, from the society, that's going to tell you, well, what you really need is more money. What you really need is better health. What you really need is a, is a, is a proper pension plan. What you really need is a better marriage and a better family and a better job and more success and a better car and a better house. You know what I'm saying? And, and better clothes. That's what you really need. But then you come to church on Sunday, and Pastor Ellen reminds you, no, what you really need is Jesus Christ. You need to follow in his steps. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. This is why we're having communion today, to remind you that your sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. This is what you need to be reminded every single Sunday. And any church that does not proclaim that is not being true to the call. So this message of the gospel is for unbelievers, but it's also for believers. You need to hear this. You need to be reminded of this every single week. All heathen philosophy. Did you hear that? All heathen, all pagan philosophy, all philosophy that is not Christian is all about improving you. How can I be a better me? And I'm going to tell you, folks, that it is a multi-billion dollar industry. In 2014, it was estimated that, 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 they, uh, that these self-help gurus, these, these gurus who try to help you be a better you, they raked in $11 billion. $11 billion. You say, well, who are these self-help gurus? Well, you know some of them. Some of you have heard of Seneca. Anybody heard of Seneca, the great Roman philosopher and Stoic? Uh, coincidentally, he was born at almost exactly the same year as Jesus Christ. Interesting, isn't it? You have Jesus born, who has a message that says what? You must die to yourself. And then you have Seneca, the Stoic, who's born, and his message is you need to improve yourself. Well, folks, this has been the lie of Satan for thousands of years. Today, there's an explosion of these self-help gurus. Why? Because it's a replacement for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are looking for answers. They say, no, I, 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 I'm looking for answers, but I, I, I don't want Jesus. I, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in dying to myself. And so Satan raises up all of these self-help gurus, has anybody ever heard of Tony Robbins? He's a man that needs to be converted. 
Well, he he preaches self-help and improving yourself. He's worth $450 million. Imagine that. He's probably worth half a billion now. There's Eckhart Tolle, Oprah. Don't get mad at me when I say this. Joel Osteen, Norman Vincent Peale, Robert Schuller. And there's all kinds of them. There's Kenneth Copeland. It's all about how to be a better you, how you can get what you want, how you can be rich, how you can have whatever your mouth declares. Norman Vincent Peale was, was a big name. He's a, he, he really is the father of this modern self-help movement. There's Stephen Covey, Deepak Chopra. The Pharisees. Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was a man who thought, I could be a better me. 17 years ago, a book came out called The Secret. Has anybody ever heard of The Secret? I remember addressing this back about 17 years ago. And because Oprah was the one that was, was, was proclaiming it on her show. How many remember that show? Some of us older people remember it. Uh, there was a lady in our congregation. She left. She quit. She was very angry at me. And I said, look it, the secret is not biblical. Doesn't matter if it helped me, Pastor. You don't know how much it's helped me. How many today would like a false gospel or a real gospel? Yeah, of course. And Apostle Paul says, anybody who preaches a false gospel, let him be what? Let him be accursed. I don't want to be accursed. <laughs> I want the blessing of God. So therefore, I stand before you and I tell you the truth. And so this book, The Secret, by Rhonda Burns, uh, it sold more than 20 million copies, and Oprah is a, is a huge disciple of, of The Secret. And uh, Byrne, what she did is she took the teachings of Jesus and she twisted it. And this is what all false teachers and all false prophets do. And she took that verse, Matthew 21, 22, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, you shall receive it. And then she twisted it. So, in other words, you start focusing on what you want, you keep asking, you keep focusing on it. What it is, folks, is simply uh, a greedy, false gospel of positive thinking. So when, when you come to church on Sunday, I don't try to discover or find out what your felt needs are. I don't care what your felt needs are. Your felt needs don't mean anything. What matters is what does God say is your real need? And your real need is to have your sins forgiven. That's what God declares. And who's God? Well, he's your creator. So this Rhonda Byrne, she says, if you send a wish out there into the universe with enough faith, then you can get what you want. It's called the law of attraction. Some of you have seen this. You've heard it. You've heard it preached in churches even, which is shocking. So she says, do you want to find a husband? Well, clean out your closet, make room for the man of your dreams, and imagine him hanging up his ties. Oh, that's good. Write that down. Got to do that. You want a husband for your daughter? Ooh, make room in the closet. Yeah. Want to get rid of your glasses? Seriously, do you want to get rid of your glasses? Well, picture yourself acing your next vision exam and say goodbye to your glasses. This is what they're teaching. Does this sound like gospel to you? 
sounds like insanity. Folks, what do you really need? You need to be reconciled to God because just like Saul, you're living as an enemy of God. And if the Lord were here today and you're not a Christian, Jesus would say the same thing to you. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you against me? Why are you my enemy? Folks, we all know John 3, 16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so we can get kind of a little bit sentimental about this verse, oh, God loves us so much. But folks, God loves you, but there's a requirement. And what is that requirement? That you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so here's what Jesus says further on. So you know John 3, 16, you know John 3, 36. Jesus says, and anyone who believes in God's Son has what? Eternal life, which means your sins are forgiven. This is what you need. You need your sins forgiven. You can't have eternal life if you are a sinner. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, that is, your sins forgiven, but remains under God's angry judgment. Or in the old vernacular, you you are still under the wrath of God. Anybody here want to stand under the wrath of God? I know I don't. Of course not. Well, folks, this is what you need to understand. You were created by God, and your heart cannot find peace until your sins are forgiven. And you were reconciled with God. You cannot have peace. You'll never have peace. You'll be constantly looking for a way to fill that hole in your heart. This is what Augustine said back in the 4th century. He was born around 350 A.D., He says there's a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. What did he mean by that? Well, he's saying God created you and me. We were created in his image. We were created for fellowship with him. And the only way that you're going to find happiness, the only way you're going to find fulfillment, the only way you're going to find joy and peace in your life is if God fills that hole. And folks, we try to fill that hole in many, many ways, don't we? You know, the obvious ones, money, sex, drugs. Some people try to fill out a hole by going shopping. Maybe a a special or favorite hobby, sports. Some people even fill that hole with religious activity. That's what's happening with Saul. He's trying to fill that hole. He's trying to please God. He's trying to do what's right. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't condemn Saul, but he confronts Paul, Saul and says, why are you persecuting me? And that's what Jesus is doing today. He's not, he's not condemning. He's saying to you today, why are you living as my enemy? And so this is what Saul is doing. He's seeking to please God, ironically, by attacking Christians. It, it really is a great irony, isn't it? In trying to please God, he attacks God. And I think that's what so many people do. He's seeking to please God by attacking God. Well, the message of Christianity for 2,000 years is simple. Believe in God's Son. Have your sins forgiven and receive eternal life. Folks, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever today, you need to be reminded of this. You need to be reminded of who we are and what we're all about. What is the church all about? It's the message of Jesus Christ. 
and following Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. Acts shows us that the apostles, when you read through the book of, of, of Acts, you find that the apostles were, were self-focused, laser-focused on this one message. We've got to proclaim the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Folks, I can remember as just a young boy having my sins forgiven. I felt like I could fly. The, the weight, the shame, the guilt was lifted from my shoulders. The interesting thing is that as you get older, you, uh, you, you maybe become calloused and you don't recognize how desperately you need God. But I'll tell you, that day, that moment when you put your faith in Christ, you, you feel like you can fly. The weight is lifted from your shoulders. And so this is what the apostles are doing. They're going around proclaiming this core truth. There's forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And so we find the apostle, uh, apostle Peter preaching the gospel, telling, reminding people that they're sinners. And I know that that, that is not a popular thing to preach anymore. Nobody wants to hear that. I, don't, I didn't come to church to be told I'm a sinner. I didn't come to, be, come to church to be treated like that. Folks, again, I'm, I am not telling you what you want to hear. I'm telling you what you need to hear. And it's not always easy to do that. In Acts 4.12, after Peter was done preaching, they, they cried out in desperation. How, how can we be saved? And what does Peter say? Acts 4.12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what is that name? Jesus. This is the hope of the world. This is your only hope. Again, whether you're a believer or not, it doesn't matter. You need to hear this. You need to be reminded of this. You need to keep your eyes on Christ. So no other religion on earth offers forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God other than Christianity. Now, Jesus in John 20, remember, he, it's, it's the, the, the gospel of John version of the Great Commission. Jesus tells his disciples to do what? To go and forgive sins. How can they do that? What? By proclaiming Jesus Christ. This is the message. This is what Jesus wants you to hear. Jesus wants you to know today your sins are forgiven. And when we take communion today, this is what we're going to be reminded of. Our sins are forgiven. And this is what's going to cause us to rejoice and be glad. Your sins are forgiven, not because you were like Saul, a perfect Pharisee. Your sins are forgiven because you understand that you are a sinner. But Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and he washed away your sin. This is the gospel. So, becoming a Christian always begins with a confrontation with Jesus Christ. And folks, your only hope is to recognize and admit that you're a sinner. And to put your faith in Christ and follow him. This is the gospel. I think everybody knows what the gospel is, right? There's forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Can you say that with me? There's forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Well, that's what happened here with Saul. Jesus confronts Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why have you chosen to be an enemy of God? 
And I could actually ask you that question today, too. If you're not a believer, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, why have you chosen to be an enemy of God? You see, until you put your faith in Christ, you stand as an enemy of God. Now, how stupid is that? How stupid is it to, to, <laughs> to be an enemy of the creator of the heavens and the earth? To be a creator of God Almighty. Uh, to be a, an enemy of the creator God Almighty. Well, if you've come to church today looking for answers, well, I'm going to tell you that the hope, your only hope, is in Christ. And so then we read in verses 6 to 9, Jesus says to Saul, Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. They didn't know what's going on. Saul's on the ground. Saul's talking to Jesus. They can't see anything. They hear the voice. They don't know what's going on. They're terrified. And Saul, wisely, does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. I want you to see that. Saul is being converted right before our eyes. The minute that you obey Christ, the minute that you obey the Son, is the moment that you experience eternal life, your sins forgiven. So he does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. It says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he, he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, <laughs> you read through the gospel, normally what Jesus is doing is he's healing the blind. But here we find Jesus blinding the man who's got sight. What's going on? What you have to understand, and this is so important, especially if you call yourself a Pentecostal, especially if you believe in the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, because what we, have, what we have done unwittingly, especially in this generation, in this past hundred years, is we have said that the most important thing is that you get your healing. In fact, we have in many ways put healing above salvation. That's the main thing. In fact, many people, when they read the book of Acts, they're looking for miracles. But what they don't see is the greatest miracle of all, which is the salvation of a man or woman. This is what the book of Acts is about. And so Saul is blinded. Well, maybe this, this whole description of what's happening with Saul describes you today. God's dealing with you. You're blind. You're thirsty for something. You don't know what it is, but your heart's your heart's hungry, just like, just like Saul. You don't know what to do, and you're waiting. In a sense, you're in limbo. You're wondering what's next. Well, the, the solution is to pray and to ask God to forgive you, ask God to help you. And the wonderful thing is that he will answer your prayer. And that's what happens here. We read further on in verse 10 to 16. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. If you cry out to Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And that's exactly what Saul does. He's praying. And he has seen in a vision, that is, Saul has seen in a vision, a man named Ananias 
who has come in and laid, laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now listen, if God told you to approach somebody who was a known hostile enemy of the church and enemy of God, what would you do? And there's so many, there's, there's so many ways that you could respond to this command. God says, go. You could say, no way. And some of us do do that. God tells you to tell your workmate, tell your friend, tell your neighbor, tell your, your, your friend about Jesus. And you no, I'm not going to do that. But what you don't know is that as God is prompting you to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that person all along has been waiting for you to say something about Jesus. Let this be a lesson to every believer in this room. You and I are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, Ananias, he's not going to say no way to God. He's smart enough to know, I'm not going to say no to God. But what he does do is he says, God, I think you may have got this wrong. I think you made a mistake here. <laughs> we do that sometimes, don't we? God, I, you know what? God, just a moment. Let me just, let me just make a few things clear. Do you know who this man is? Do you know who this Saul is? God, you're wrong this time. Well, that's what he says. Verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to, blind, to bind all who call on your name. God, you got it wrong this time. This is, this is not your man. This is, you, you, you really need to look for somebody else. This guy is too far gone. He's, he's an evil man. He murders people. He puts people in prison. Uh, he, he, he works for the Gestapo. Watch what the Lord says. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Can you believe that? That God chooses vile sinners like Saul? Oh, believe me, Saul knew he was a sinner. Later on, he says about himself, he says, I am the chief of sinners. There's nobody, nobody who's as bad as me. He knows that about himself. Now, if you're sitting here today thinking, you know, my sin is too great, God couldn't use me, I want you to know today that God delights in bringing glory to himself by transforming sinners just like you and me. God says, I'm going to bring glory to my name by bringing you to Jesus. By bringing to you the message of forgiveness of your sin. I want you to know today that God has a plan. He's got a plan for this man who has terrified the church and every Christian from Jerusalem to Damascus. God's got a plan. And by the way, for everybody who has put their faith in Christ, God has got a plan, a special plan just for you, a special work that God wants you to do. Doesn't matter what your past is, doesn't matter what you've done or not done, God wants to use you for his glory and honor. Who would believe that this Saul, this guy is going around murdering people and terrorizing the church, who would believe that he would eventually become the greatest teacher the greatest preacher, the greatest missionary, the greatest theologian that the church had ever known. 
There's never been anybody like, like Saul who becomes Paul. Folks, you, 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 you don't fulfill your destiny until you find forgiveness of your sin. Did you get that? You don't become all that God wants you to become until you find forgiveness of your sin. And that's something that Seneca will not tell you. Uh, Anthony Robbins won't tell you that. And Joel Osteen, he'll tell you you can have your best life now. But folks, I'm going to tell you, you, you will not have your best life now until your sins are forgiven. Until you find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So, you know, God, God sends people along like Ananias into your life. And everybody has an Ananias in their life. Everybody's got somebody that God used who led you to Christ. And by the way, everybody here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God wants you to be an Ananias. There's somebody that God wants to send you to. And so we read then, So Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on, on Paul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. There is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Now, sometimes God lets you go through some real difficult times. He, he lets you go through, through a, a season where you're blind so that God can get your attention. It's amazing what God will do to get your attention. And when God comes after you, well, Charles Spurgeon called God the hound of heaven. He just keeps coming after you until you give in. There's, there's no point in holding off. You may as well say, okay, God, I give. And that's exactly what Saul does. He says, okay, I, I give. Uncle, I, you, you got me. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, oh God. And so this is what God calls all of us to do. He calls all of us to say, Lord, I give. I will follow you. I will do your will. I will be the person you call me to be. So we talk about conversion. Let me just quickly tell you what it is in a, in a nutshell. It's very simple. God does his part. He heals you and fills you with the Holy Spirit. That's what we see here. You do your part, put your faith in Christ, you get baptized, and your sins are forgiven. It's that simple. And it's that glorious. It's that magnificent. It's a supernatural work of God. It's something that God does in you. Anybody has this notion, this idea, I went looking for God. You didn't go looking for God. I went looking for you. Jesus, remember he said that last week? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Saul was lost. But Jesus found him. Alan Duncalf was lost. But Jesus found me. Chris Silkey was lost, but Jesus found him. Judy was lost, but Jesus found her. And here we are. That's amazing. Judy comes from the Philippines. Chris, Ukrainian, German background, me from English background. 
How do we all come to know each other? Well, I like this. I'm going to close with this. Ananias comes to Saul, and he says this. He says, Brother Saul, not you sinner Saul, not you miserable murderous Saul, not you, not you evil Saul, but brother. When you're converted, when you're born again, you become part of the family. And so I have my, my family here surrounded. Jesus says, Who, who's my mother, my brother, my sister? It's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Oh, this is, this is the glory of Christianity. If you can put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is a day. Jesus has, God has done his part. Now you do yours. Put your faith in Christ. And then give us a call and we'll baptize you. And you're part of the family. Father, as we prepare our hearts now to receive communion, we pray, oh God, that you would open our eyes to recognize what Jesus has done for us. God, you have forgiven our sins. And there's some here today maybe feeling overwhelmed by sin, feeling as though... They have gone too far. God, help us to understand we can't save ourselves. We'll never be good enough. And that's why we need the righteousness of Christ. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags. But thanks be to God, when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive Christ's righteousness. Father, thank you today for the family of God. And as we take communion today, we're celebrating that our sins are forgiven. We're celebrating that we belong to a family, the family of God. And so, Lord, as we take communion now, we pray, open our hearts and fill us with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Our sins are forgiven. The wonderful thing that I am blessed to do is to be able to stand before you and tell you that your sins are forgiven. There's no greater privilege that's been given to me as a pastor and a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you need to know that today because I know some of you feel that maybe I don't deserve to take communion. Can I just tell you this? Nobody deserves to take communion, not, not even me. And I'm paid to be good. I don't, I don't deserve it. Nobody here deserves it. 
But that's not the point. The point is, is that you put your faith in Christ and he's the perfect man. He is the one that took away our sin. I remember one old saint saying to me, Pastor, I can't take me, and I've, I'm, I was thinking evil thoughts. Like, really, in your mid-80s, late-80s, you're still thinking evil thoughts? That's, is indwelling sin that God's purifying us? You don't come to the table as a perfect human being. You come to the table as a human being dependent on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our sins are forgiven. And once you know that, once you have sensed your sins forgiven, oh, there's no greater joy in all the world. It still brings tears to my eyes. It still fills me with joy. And so, Father, we examine our hearts right now and we pray that if there's any unforgiveness in our hearts, you would cleanse us of that unforgiveness. Forgive us, we pray, as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lord, when we celebrate the body of Christ, we understand that the church is also called the body of Christ. The body of Christ represents the place where love reigns. God said, the word says that God is love. And so, God, we know that love needs to reign in our church. There can be no relational, outstanding relational debts. There can be no unforgiveness in our hearts. Even as we need forgiveness, we need to forgive others. And so, Lord, we forgive those who have sinned against us. And if you agree, would you please say amen? And, Lord, because, because our sins have been forgiven, we now that we are able to come to this table and partake and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread after he'd given thanks. He took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take it together, shall we? Take a little wafer. Thank you, Lord. In the same manner, after he broke the bread, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. Let's take it together, shall we? Would you stand with me, please? Father, we rejoice today that as we take this communion together at the Lord's table, we're reminded that our sins are forgiven, that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We thank you, O oh God, that you are working in us, you are transforming us, you are changing us, you are making us like your Son, Jesus. So we thank you, O oh God. He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And Lord, as we go from this place now, we go as a people who know the conversion of our hearts as a people who have been born again. We rejoice in this, Lord. We give you thanks. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the verse beside you, Jesus Christ is Lord.